The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And as they're going out, uh, if you have a Bible today, feel free to flip in it to 1 Samuel. If you look in the bulletin, you'll see we're in chapters 18 through 21, so it's a large chunk of text today that we're going to be looking at. Let me open us in prayer as we begin to look at the Word this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth in it. I thank you for the reality of it. And I thank you that it is based on your character. And I pray this morning as we look at it and as we look at our lives that you would make yourself known, that you would move in our hearts, that your spirit would be at work, and that we would see you clearly and understand ourselves in light of you and live accordingly. We pray this in your son Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, let me set this up just a little bit. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, Bill has started the series Undaunted, uh, the study of the life of David. And the way we're going through it is not every story specifically, but kind of big picture glimpses of David. And so over the last couple of weeks, what you've seen is David become anointed as king, and, and yet he's still not king. Saul is still king, but he's got this anointing and this choosing of him, and we'll get to that. And then last week, Bill spent a good chunk of time talking about his victory over Goliath, the story you've heard if you've been in the church since you were a little, little kid, and just what happened there and how God brought about this amazing victory. And so what we're going to do today is look at a little snapshot in chapter 18, verses 6 through 9, and then we're going to fast forward to the end of chapter 21. And I want you, as I read this today, to see the extreme. Dreams. We're going we're gonna to pick it up right after the victory, and we're going to see how great things are. And then by the end, and we get to chapter 21, we're going to talk about and read about where things went. And then what we're going to do today is talk about how we got there. So if you would, 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And then we fast forward, 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15, it says this. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spit run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. 
So what we have today, and again, if you listen to that, that's pretty extreme. You went from David is slain as Saul's thousands, David is ten thousands, in this victorious celebration, music, dancing, you can picture the whole deal after a great victory in war. And then all of a sudden, we fast forward two or three chapters, and David is running away from Saul. He's running to Gath, ironically the hometown of Goliath, and he's going there, and not just going there, he's going there fearful of Saul, fearful of the king of Gath, and he is literally pretending to be insane. Spit running down his beard, marking on walls, acting crazy. And what you find when you look at the story is David's life was going like this. And if you know anything about David's life, and if you've ever studied David's life, this is just the beginning. If you follow further on, it's going to continue, and the, the ride is going to get even bigger. And, and, you know, in reality, I think a lot of times we want and, and we desire the Christian life where we come to Christ and everything just changes and transforms, and it's just this slow, positive, uphill journey where everything just gets better and better and better. Anybody experience that? All right, I think we're done. Uh, but, but the idea, no, when you, when you follow that, if your life is anything like mine and you're human, your life goes like this. It, it is not this. It's a roller coaster. And if you think about, I was thinking about this this week, that the first time when I was a kid I rode a roller coaster, I remember that, that feeling inside when you're going up the tracks. And anybody, some of you are like, I haven't ridden a roller coaster in years. But, but if you ever have, you, you're going up, and it's like that click, 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 and you're getting there, you're getting there, you're getting there, and you get to the top, and it's like this great, and boom, you're just gone. You know, a couple of months ago, we, were, we went on a trip, and we took our kids, uh, and, and some of them, for the first time, were riding a roller coaster, and this was down, rocking roller coaster, down in Hollywood Studios in Disney World. And Wes specifically, uh, it was his first roller coaster, like real one. And it was one of those deals where we gave him like the thickest sold shoes we could find. And we spiked his hair up and put a hat on his head. And we're doing like the whole deal so that he would, he would hit the bar and so he could get on. Because last time we went, it was, couldn't get in. So he gets through. They take the hat off. He's kind of doing this number and boom, he gets through and he gets on. And if you've ever seen that roller coaster specifically, you get in and you just sit there for about 10 seconds, just kind of hanging out and then just, just shoot you out. And, and it was fun, I remember watching as you go through and watching all the kids, because it's this, boom, you're gone, and it's dark, you're up, you're down, you're in circles, and, and then you come back and you're on the other side, and, and when you get done, I know his first reaction was, can we do it again? Uh, and that was, I don't want to do it again. Uh, and, and, and you might have experienced that in life. Anybody ever get to that moment, or maybe you're at that moment right now, where you're like, wow, the last week, two weeks, month, year, decade, is like this. And you're just at that moment of, oh, do we have to do it again? And, and this morning, what I want us to look at as we think about these chapters, Bill asked me to think with you today on this title of the day after. And the idea behind the title was this thought of, when you look at chapters 18 through 21 of 1 Samuel, David goes from this extreme high where everything seems to be falling into place to this extreme low where you're like, hold on, that's King David pretending to be crazy over in Philistine territory, drooling and marking on walls? How does that happen? And today what we're going to do is kind of walk through his life and see how he got there. It's kind of like, I love movies. I don't know how many of y'all are movie people. Um, I enjoy movies. One of my favorite things in movies is when they show kind of the ending, and then it's like this flashback, and the whole movie shows you how they got there. That's what we're doing this morning. We've seen the ending. Okay, so David's, and by the way, this isn't really the ending. It's the end of chapter 21, and then it just gets started. But we've seen where he's at. So what I want to do today is, how do you go from here to here? Because that's a big swing. And as we look at how we get there, 
What I want us to think about specifically in our own lives is the question that Matt has set up brilliantly this morning. If you paid attention to the songs, the lyrics, the things we've prayed this morning, the, the, the heartbeat of today and the question for today is, is Christ enough? Because it's easy to sing a song right now. Everything's safe, everything's comfortable, we're all going to go out, we'll eat lunch, and we'll move on with our day. But, but in reality, in our lives, when we're in the middle of life, and maybe it's a high, maybe it's a low, maybe it's somewhere in between on the ride, is Christ enough? When the things around you are either great or being peeled away, is Christ enough? And as we look at that, the way I want to kind of do that today is to think about this one word, and the word is perspective. Because to me, what this comes down to when we look at David and what we'll learn from him today is it's about our perspective on how we understand things. And specifically, when I say understand things, what we're going to focus on this morning is, how do we understand God's blessings? How do we understand God's blessings in our lives? And what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and how do we walk through those things? So if you're an outline person, I will give you a nice, tidy three-point outline. Here we go. The outline today is going to be, what are blessings? Let's define those first. Second point is going to be tr- blessings and triumphs. When things are going well, what does that look like? And the third point is going to be blessings and trials. When the wheels seem to come off the track, what does that look like? And so let's go to the first part of that. What are blessings? Big picture, what does that mean? If you look it up in the dictionary, if you go Google it today, um, what you're going to find is something to the effect of God's favor or God's protection. God's favor or God's protection. And we live in the hashtag blessed culture um, where everybody puts that out all the time. Yeah, life is great. I'm at the beach. Here's a picture of my toes in the sand. You know, we, we, we do that type of stuff, and, and we put out this image. And, and in American culture, it's really interesting. You know, it's really hard to define the difference between blessing and success. Because when you think about blessing, a lot of times, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I was thinking on this list, and I'll give you five or ten things, and I want you to listen to this list. Sometimes we equate these things with blessings, and by the way, they are. But sometimes we limit blessings to this glimpse, and I'll just throw out some things. Here we go. One, sometimes we we view blessings as a successful career. Things are going well at work. Sometimes we view blessings as health, good health. Everything's moving along nicely. Uh, A loving marriage, obedient, wonderful children. (laughs) I love the laughter on that one. Having a, a nice house or, or a nice car, or maybe it's more just having enough financial ability to where we, we can kind of breathe a little and not, not have to worry. Uh, maybe it's having trusted and close friends, people that you care about, people that care about you, um, whatever. And I can go on and on and on. And what you'll find is that you listen to that list, there's nothing bad about any of those things. And I would argue every one of those things are indeed blessings from God. But I would also argue, if that's the limit of your understanding of God's blessings, we're probably not getting the full picture. Bill said last week, I wrote it and it resonated with me because I think it's very true. Often in our society, the highest goals are safety, security, and ease. Often in our country, often inside the church, our highest goals are safety, security, and ease. You know, I was talking to somebody after the first service, and they said, yeah, often we think about the, the church as a cruise ship instead of a battleship. 
um, and, and just that mind, mindset of just, eh, we're just cruising along. We, we want things to be easy, and we'll do whatever we can to put that box of insulation around us to keep things easy. But when you look at Scripture, what does blessed mean? The word blessed, blessing, or blessed in the ESV is used 112 times in the New Testament. Now think about this for a second. I'll just read you three or four references. Some of them you'll be very familiar. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Moving down to some other references. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what you find as you start reading and studying and going through these words is blessing is often connected to the spiritual benefits of being connected in faith to Jesus. The idea of blessed, blessing, blessed in the New Testament is often connected to the spiritual benefits of being connected in faith to Jesus. Or another way to say that is blessing in these passages often has the meaning of being fully satisfied in Christ. Full satisfaction in Christ. The full recognition that there isn't more we need. Now, David Platt says it this way, Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth, not prosperity. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds It's reward in Christ. And here's his last statement. And he is more than enough for us. So when you think about your life, there is nothing wrong with the perspective of all the physical things and the relational things, because those are blessings. But the truth of blessing is it's not limited to the circumstances or even the people. Real blessing is recognizing full satisfaction in Christ. I'll use uh, Laura's story. Some of you are familiar with her. She wrote the song about five years ago, Blessings. If you've ever heard that song, if you haven't, go look it up this afternoon. Her story, just in a nutshell, is she got married to this great guy. They were together for about two years and then found out he had a brain tumor. And so he had to go through a bunch of surgeries and went through and is still coming through a lot of different struggles and trials and things of that nature. But she wrote this song, and let me just read a couple lyrics from it for you because it gives a different perspective to blessings. It says this, We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. By the way, all great prayers. But then her chorus, and I love the chorus of this song, All the while you hear, you hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials in this life are your mercies in disguise? And it's a different perspective, and I appreciate her writing it in light of her story because it's out of reality in her life of what if blessings... True blessing is intimacy with Christ, and it takes not just the abundance, but it takes the struggles and the challenges for us to see the need for that intimacy. And so, as we think about that backdrop, that definition, let's go into these two things. 
Point two, blessings and triumphs. So let's go to David's life. As we're looking at chapters 18 through 21, I'll go back a little bit to chapter 16. Where was David at the beginning of the story today? Where was he? Let me hit a couple recaps. Chapter 16, and I'm just going to reference a bunch of things. We don't have time to read it all. But chapter 16, verse 13, David is the youngest of all of his brothers. He's brought before Samuel, and Samuel anoints him king of Israel. Pours the oil on him, calls him aside, sets him apart. You are the king of Israel. Now, the intriguing thing about that anointing, by the way, this is just a sidebar that's probably helpful for us today, is there was no timeline given to David on that anointing. You are king, but yet Saul's actually king, and you're just a shepherd boy yet right now. And so for David, I have no doubt a large chunk of the next years of his life was wrestling through what does that mean, how does that work, and what does that promise hold for me? But he was anointed king. The other thing you find with David, the story from last week, chapter 17, you have this image of him fighting, going out against the giant, this nine-foot war monster, and him with a sling and a few stones, and, and rallying, not because he was stronger or more equipped, he was passionate for his God. And he goes out and he has this great triumph. Shortly after that, if you look at chapter 18, we find that David grows this deep, deep friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And you can do, there are sermon series on that relationship as far as what that looks like. And in the reality of life, how many of us in this room would love just one person in our lives who we fully trust and can fully be open with? And David had this friendship and this relationship and things are going well. And then you get to the end of chapter 18, David ends up marrying Saul's second daughter, Michael. And he ends up becoming son-in-law to the king. He ends up with this lovely wife, a wonderful marriage in that setting, if you will. And then you have what we read earlier, the songs about David. Saul is thousands, David is tens of thousands. His reputation was growing. And then you get to the end of chapter 18, beginning of chapter 19. The Bible says pretty much whatever David did, wherever he went, he was met with success. It's kind of like the old Greek mythology, King Midas. Anything he touched turned to gold. That's kind of what we're given with David. Everywhere he went, things seemed to be going great. So it's in those moments, as we look at the first part of David's life, David's being blessed. Chapter 18 alone, just to give you a couple references, four times it references David's success, three times it asserts that God is with David, and six times it uses the verb to love with David as the object. It's almost like the author was trying to make a point. And it's that David was being used by God. That David was being blessed, as it were, by God. Now, let me think about this with you for one second. As I was walking through that this week, I started asking myself this question. So out of all of those apparent blessings in David's life, which of those did he control? The anointing from Samuel. Now, David didn't control that. Samuel called him in. Because God's spirit led him to David. The victory over Goliath. Now, David controlled his actions to fight Goliath. What if that story had gone a lot different? It should have gone a totally different direction. Okay, David, let's think about with Jonathan. He had a friend, but Jonathan loved David. That was Jonathan's choice. Michael, his wife, she loved David. How many Hollywood movies are there about somebody trying to earn someone's love? 
And yet she loved David. His victories, they were given to him by God. His reputation was growing because of God. And at the end of the day, what you find with David, in the midst of what seems this incredible blessing, this high moment, this just the top of the mountain, if you will, experience, when you really think about the control factor, what did David really control in any of that, what was happening around him? When you peel it back and you really go to the core, he controlled his responses. He controlled how he responded to what was happening to him. Think about that. A young shepherd boy, anointed king. Think of the arrogance that could have come out of that. This young kid that beats a mighty warrior. Think of the pride that could have come out of that. And yet David, we're given this glimpse of this this young man who continues to follow God. Now, just as another sidebar for us today, this is probably helpful How many of you, don't raise your hands, this could get uncomfortable, have spent nights this week not able to sleep because you were worried about something that you can't control? And the reality is, if we do, there we go. Go ahead and raise your hand, that's fine. If if, if we do it, you're going to see a lot of hands go up. I'll quote the great theologian Cam Newton. Um, (laughs) I I love this quote, though. Um, There's so much depth, not that... I don't know, he was going there. He was asked about certain things with, you know, getting ready for games and things like that. If you're not familiar, Cam Newton's the quarterback for the Panthers. Um, did not live during the Reformation. So here we go. Um, Cam Newton said this, though. It's helpful. Control what you can control. Don't lose sleep. Don't lose sleep worrying about things that you don't have control over because at the end of the day, you still won't have any control over them. It, it, it is great. It's somewhat profound. I don't know that you'll see it on the wall in the lobby next week. But it is, it is somewhat profound, this idea of, at the end of the day, there are things in life we control. And there are a lot of things in life that we don't. Our reality is control somewhat of an illusion. We think we have it. We think, oh, if I just do this, I'll do this. But there are so many factors, even in the next 10 minutes of your life, that we can't control in the next two hours, in the next two days, in the next two years. And the reality for David was God was materially blessing David. God was, in external perspective, man, look at David. Reputation, wife, family, friends, kingship, everything seems to be going his way. And yet, David's reality was, his control of any of that was simply his response to the circumstances he found himself in. Now let's fast forward in the story. Let's go to the less exciting side. Point three, blessings and trials. What happens in chapters 19, the end of 18, and then really through 21. And by the way, I would encourage you, we're going through such large chunks of text. Take some time this week to read through these because there's so much in there that I'm not going to get into. But let me talk about the new reality David begins to find himself in. End of chapter 18, kind of throughout chapter 18, beginning of 19, Saul becomes exceedingly jealous of David. Now, picture the wording, even in the the text that we read from middle of 18. David is tens of thousands, Saul is thousands, and Saul says, what more could he take but the kingdom? His reaction isn't, this young man saved us from the Philistines. God has used this young man. His reaction is, he's going to take my kingdom. And a jealousy grows inside of Saul. As you go further into it, Saul not only becomes jealous, tries to kill David several times, and begins to plot to have David killed throughout chapters 18 and 19. It goes a little bit further beyond him plotting. David ends up having to be on the run. 
David ends up having to, his wife Michael saves his life, sneaks him out, and he has to leave his wife. He leaves, there's a long section in chapters 18, 19, 20 about him and Jonathan in their interaction, and he has to leave his friend, all of the comforts, all of the pieces of ease, all the things that were great in his life, he's having to run away from. It goes even further, he runs to the priests and he goes away, and one of Saul's men is there and spies out on him and hears what he's plotting to do and where he's heading and goes and tells Saul, and he has to continue to run. And then we get to the section we read today where not only is he running away from Saul, he's running all the way to the Philistine territory because he starts looking at life saying, this is my only chance. And then he gets to the Philistine territory and not only is he there in a place that you would have never thought, but just step out of the story for a minute. How ironic is that? He kills the Philistine warrior. He's a warrior and now he's in Philistine territory and, and, and we can digest that for a month. But he ends up there, and not only is he there, but he's fearful of the king, and he, and he pretends to be crazy. And so as you walk through the story of David, what you find is the roller coaster has indeed started going down the hill. He was up here, and now it's going like this. And like I said earlier, if you know the life of David, it's just getting started, because it's going to continue to go and get higher and lower and higher and lower over the next chapters of this book and the next book. But what we find, and the question I want us to digest and think about is, does this mean God has withdrawn his blessing from David? Does this mean that David is no longer blessed by God? Did David's Twitter posts change? Did, did he switch what he was doing? Or is David still being blessed? And, and what I would challenge us to think about is that in these moments, you still see David being blessed by God, but it looks different. It looks hard. It looks challenging. And, I, and I've asked myself, and I love the Bible because it gives us these things, I wonder what David was thinking during this time period. And if you study the Psalms, you'll find Psalm 52 was written during this section when David was being betrayed and he was about to be on the run. And I just want to read you a little bit from Psalm 52 because it gives us a glimpse into David's mind, into David's heart, and into where David was at in this moment. And I'll start in verse 7. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction. And prior to this, he talked about the destruction of that man. But then verse 8, David says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. I'm like a green olive tree. I trust in your steadfast love forever and ever because you are good. Now think about that. David wasn't perfect, and David didn't do everything right, and I don't even want to make the the implication here that everything he was doing was right on point. But what I do want to say is you get a little glimpse into David's thinking. And going back to the original question, is Christ enough for David? Was he enough? What we're given a glimpse of here is, yeah. Because the world had been taken away from him. This is much like if you've ever studied the book of Job. Very similar story. Everything seems to be cooking. Everything's great. And then, boom, it's gone. And when you read the account in the book of Job, of Job's response and his interaction, you see a man who's wrestling, who's hurting, who's broken. 
and yet sees God as enough. And as we go through this, I don't want to make light of that because what I love is in this moment, everyone in this room is in a different place. Everyone in this room has come in here today with a different burden, with a different place in life where your heart's at. Some of you in this room, things are going really well right now. Things are just moving forward, and, and, and you probably don't want to mention that because it's like, eh, I don't want anybody to look at me. But some of you in this room, it's probably been a really rough day. Maybe it's just a rough morning. Maybe it's been a really rough week. Maybe it's been a really rough month. Maybe it's been a rough decade. I don't know. But you've, you've been through it, and you're looking at it, and you're like, man, I, have, I feel like I'm on the bottom of this thing for so long. And yet, the question is, is God enough? And the real question is, how is David able to keep this perspective? And again, not that he had it perfectly, but how is he able to write a psalm when he's fleeing in the middle of all this and say something like, I'm like an olive tree planted in the house of God. I have roots that are deep because they're in God's house. How does he get to that point? And I'll give you three things just observing these chapters. First one is this. If you go back to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel and his anointing, there is no doubt that David was relying heavily on the promises of God. Not just to him, but to the nation of Israel and to what God was doing. And there was a reliance, and what that implies is there was a knowledge of the promises of God. And obviously his were a little more specific and purposeful in being anointed by Samuel. But I'd ask you this question today. Do you know the promises of God over your life? Do you know so well this book and so intimately who God is and what he says about his children and what he's doing? Because David, no doubt, held on to those. Second thing we see with David, if you go to the Goliath story in chapter 17, is he was passionate, but he wasn't just passionate to stand up for God. He was passionate about the glory of God. He understood, and again, not perfectly, but there was an understanding of his role. And at the end of the day, the role is very simple, and I'll put it this way in just a few words. It's not about us. It's about God and his glory. And David understood that, and that's why he was willing to stand up for God's glory. And then the third one, thinking about these verses in Psalm 52, David was confident, and if you read these words still, trust in the steadfast love, wait on your name for it is good. David was confident, and this is the key, in the character of God. Because at the end of the day, the promises of God are based on the character of God, which is unchanging. And if the character of God is unchanging and his promises to us are true and we can hold on to them, our lives should be wrapped up with passion about the glory of God. No matter what the circumstances, and I do not want to downplay the circumstances right now, because you might look at me and say, you don't even have a clue what I'm going through, and you're right, I don't. And I don't want to make it sound easy, and I don't want to make it sound simple, and I don't want to make it sound like just suck it up and trust God and everything will be great because at the end of the day, I can't make you that promise because I'm not going to find that in Scripture. But what I will find in Scripture is a God who is good, a God whose steadfast love endures forever, a God who promises to be at work in your life and the blessings in your life may come through raindrops. They may come through tears. They may come through sleepless nights. It may not be all easy, but it's in those promises and in that blessing that we really begin to understand what blessed means. And let's go back to the beginning. And it's not the stuff, it's not the circumstances, and at the end of the day, it's not even the people. Those are elements of blessing. But true blessing is intimacy with our God. 
It's knowing him deeply and knowing him personally and growing in that intimacy. Because if we ask this question that we sang earlier, is Christ enough? The only way we get there is when we peel back everything else and realize that's all we need. That intimacy with Christ is all we need. And so in your life, as we look at this, and as we think about this from a big picture, and we go back to where we started, perspective, perspective. I don't know where you're at on the roller coaster right now, but how are you looking? What are the lenses through which you're looking at the moments, the circumstances, the situations in your life right now? For David, he didn't do it perfectly. I, again, I want to say that over and over. He was not perfect, but he was called a man after God's own heart. And a reason for him being called a man after God's own heart is There was a humility in David that understood who God was. And for us today, as you think about it, what's your perspective? I've used this quote before. I love this quote. I'll say it again from C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In other words, we believe in God not just because, like the sun, we see it, but the sun gives light so that we can see everything else. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. The more intimate we are with our Father in heaven, the more we will understand, and it will give light to everything else that's going on around us. And the more we will have perspective. It will not make it less painful. It will not make suffering easier. But it will give us, and here's the key word, a hope where others have no hope. And it will give us a purpose, where others may not see purpose. And for David, he's in Gath, where we leave this off. Next week, we'll pick it up, and you're going to see that transform and him continue to be used by God. But things look, if I was stopping, if this was a movie, and I played you this clip, and you'd never heard the story before and just paused it, you'd be like, that's a pretty hopeless situation. Things don't look good. Having paused it in a half hour earlier, king, great, dancing, celebration, great David, things look pretty good. It's a lot like life, isn't it? One day starts out, everything looks great, and whoa, and here we are again. And the thing that sustains us through that, the thing that helps us walk through that each day, is the hope we have in Christ and the reality of his promises on his character and his love that does not change. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in his steadfast love. I wait on his name, for it is good. Let me pray for us.